Dirty mystery. Slick, the kid is dirty! The kid is dirty! Oh my... What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Andy, from Dirty Mysteries, where we get down and dirty on these mysteries. I'm your host, Andy, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's up? We are doing quite well over here, Andy. Uh, Just chilling tonight, you know, just relaxing. Had some pizza rolls for dinner. Mm -mm. You know how it is. Deliciousness. This is our main episode this week um it is me who's doing this episode and andy i'm gonna tell you this is a big boy oh my goodness this is a chonky mystery you ready to hear what we got coming up here andy i am so ready i'm on the edge of my seat we got religious fracturing bro we have religious fractures We have cult leaders coming in. We have murder. We have conspiracy. Good God. I mean, we got everything, Andy. What are we talking about here, Ben? Andy, we are talking about the Branch Davidians of Waco, Texas. Whoa. Do you know anything about these people? I watched a documentary on it. It seems seems very interesting to me. These people are crazy. Uh, there's some there's some dark stuff going on in there, and then there's also some messed up stuff with the government going on, and it's it's just bad on all sides. But before we talk about the Branch Davidians, we're gonna go all the way back to the inception of the Branch Davidians. So, I am planning on having this try to be a two-parter. Uh, we'll see how it goes as we go along. We'll see if we have enough time to say the entirety of this or not. So the beginning, this first part, is going to be all about the beginnings, the inception of the Branch Davidians, where it comes from, um, prominent figures from that. And then we'll go into um, the actual raid of the Waco compound and uh, Mount Carmel and all that stuff. So Andy, we are going to start off all the way back in the 1800s with Victor Hotef. You ever heard of this figure, Andy? I've never heard of this guy. Well, let me tell you some stuff about him. He was born in Rakova, Bulgaria, on the 2nd of March, 1885. He was forced out of Bulgaria, though, after being attacked by armed mob in 1907 and proceeded to find himself in America penniless. A victor, however, was a very good businessman and was able to get his feet up or was able to get on his feet quickly after he opened his own business and then it started prospering and he made a bunch of money. Um... Then in 1919, he would become a member of the Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know anything about the Seventh-day Adventists, Andy? Um, they're 
I guess a branch of uh, Christianity. They're a, they're a de- denomination technically. They are. They are a group that believes that the Bible is their only creed and is the fundamentals of their belief system. So they basically believe completely and wholly in the Bible. They also believe that there are only 28 fundamental beliefs and they are categorized into God, man, salvation, the church, and daily Christian life, and last day events. So Seventh Day also has a point of like doomsday type cult stuff. But it used to be more pronounced back then. Now it is not as much. Now you just seven day ladder. They just can't eat pepperoni, right? There's some weird stuff. I think. I don't know if pepperoni is in particular one of them. I used to live next to somebody who's a seven day Adventist, and they couldn't eat pepperoni pizza. Huh. I think we'll we'll learn later that there's some weird stuff that goes on with the Branch Davidians that comes off of actually that type of um belief system of not being able to eat certain things um they also believe that the end of the world is coming very soon and that god himself is in the final phase of atoning which came from the typing of the high priest in the most holy place so this was what group victor hotef had joined in 1919 Uh, Though during the time he joined the church, he was experiencing many radical changes due to its founder, Prophet Ellen G. White, passing away. Now let me tell you some stuff about Ellen G. White. Lay it on me, Ben. Um, She was a young woman in Seventh-day Adventists that was said to have received a profound dreams and visions, which pointed out the experience of the Advent people. And brought their attention to the scriptural truth which they were then to receive. So they were, they gained knowledge, which uh, some of the examples were things such as the knowledge of the heavenly sanctuary and the investigative judgment going forward there was the perpetual validity of the seventh day Sabbath, the physical personhood of both God and his son Jesus. The strictly material nature of existence, which necessitated that humans do not have a non-physical aspect to them, which remains alive after death, among other things. Uh, And the need for spirit of prophecy active in the church, which they understood could only be manifested through a living prophet. So they basically believed that that final one was basically they believed that the only way that you could truly know what God wanted was through living prophets that he would send every, you know, few decades. Okay. Um, uh, her group believed that these were all shown in the third angel's message of Revelations 14, 9 through 12. Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice, those who worship the beast and its image and receive a mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and they will tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. 
there is no rest or rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the marks of its name here is a call for endurance of them of the saints those who keep the commandments of god and hold fast to the faith of jesus that was basically the verses that they believed in the third angel's message that gave them this wisdom and stuff. Though their religious fervor would not last much longer, as they would soon fall into what was known as spiritual darkness in the late 1800s, Elon White would try to wake the church from their spiritual slumber by sending out many testimonies to individuals and churches. Through the year 1888, it would be said that God had sent a message through two men, A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner, which was said to be designed to awaken his sleeping people. During this time, Ellen White was calling out many of the leaders from the Seventh-day Adventists church for being sinful, and when Jones and Wagner brought the message of justification by faith to her, it showed that the leaders stood guilty in front of God. This pill, however, was too hard to swallow for many of the leaders, so instead of listening to her and stepping down from their positions, they just mocked her and refuted all of her claims and mocked the messengers as well. After such an event, the spiritual condition of the church began to decline, in the, and this was in the 1900s. Then in the early 1900s, theories began to arise that would destroy their group's foundations. One of them was, in particular was the pantheistic theories concerning the person and the presence of God as promoted by John Harvey Kellogg. So then Elon G. White would pass later that, ye- that decade in 1915, and the church would again plunge into a deeper sleep. So that was all the history on Elon G. White. So she was basically this path trail maker for the church initially. Um, she was really getting this church up and going and starting to get these people really awake and spiritual and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then due to some unfortunate events and due to some unfortunate infighting in the church, uh, it started to decline again and started to fall out of, people basically fell out of uh, belief. Okay. And stopped believing in this church, moved on to other sects of the Christian religion. Um, however, after Elon White's passing, there would be many doctoral changes. And in 1916, the writings of Elon, Elon White would become themselves the spirit of prophecy. And there would also be no longer any need for a living prophet. So she left a very large... Um, influence on the religion after she passed. Mm. Basically changing the religion as it is completely and getting rid of the need for living prophets. So what do you think so far, Andy? I mean, so far it just sounds like normal religious infighting to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. As I was researching this, it was definitely interesting to learn about this. This is all coming from the actual seven-day Adventists uh, website. Uh, hmm. So Seventh Day Adventists don't believe in prophets, like current prophets. Uh, no, they do not believe that there is current 
living prophets in the world now. Hmm. However, they used to believe in that. Up until um, this woman. Yeah. Until this woman came along and made some major changes in the religion due to uh, A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner uh, and their spiritual message. Hmm. Which is also kind of interesting because it, how I said, you know, how there would be many doctoral changes in the 1916s, and then her writing themselves would become the spirit of prophecy. Which you got to think is kind of interesting because you know how she basically was defaming many of the leaders in the church and then proceed to go on. They proceed to go on and like basically throw her out of church and say like, oh, all your stuff is fake. Yeah. But then later down the road, they're just like, yep, she's part of the religion now. All her writings are. <laughs> she was really smart. Yeah. That is funny. So I feel like it. Yeah, I feel like they might have just done that to save their asses a little bit and were worried that the church was going to start plunging back into uh, the spiritual darkness they talked about. Hmm. Andy, have you ever dealt with any of this or have you ever felt like any of this in churches? <laughs> any any time where a prophet uh, or a supposed prophet came in and started uh, dissing everybody? Yeah. I've never yeah, you ever have that. just like... <laughs> Or just have like an Elon G. White moment in church? <laughs> no, I'd, I can't say I've ever had an Elon G. White moment. I like how we're saying Elon and technically her name is Ellen. You're... I said Elon initially. <laughs> a quick update, though, on the uh, the storm that I talked about at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, bro, it is straight up coming down out here. Like, the skies have opened up. Heaven has opened up. God is mad that I am talking about this church. <laughs> He's about to smite me down. <laughs> this is going wild. In 1919, a number of leaders of the churches held an exec- exclusive Bible conference where they discussed a number of theological issues and came to radically different conclusions from what they had previously been so foundational on to Adventists. Oh, man. Um, an example of this... Yeah, basically, I think Ellen G. White, after all of that happened, they were like, oh, shit, she might actually be right on a couple of things. Yeah. Yeah, we got to figure out what we actually think. Yeah, you had to actually figure out what we think. We got to make sure that we know what we think. We got to get our story straight so that if this ever comes up again, we aren't dealing with so much shit. Yeah. So... Um. However, it basically backfired on them because then they found out that all of these churches, different churches, believe in completely different things, and it's all over the place, basically. So an example of this was things such as some of the churches believe that Jesus was not literally, they believe that basically Jesus was not literally begotten of the Father at some point, but this was instead that he was coexistent with the God and was part of the triune Godhead. This view went against many of the old Adventist beliefs and was opposed by them. Like, not major theological changes, but just like minor little theological changes. Now we are finally going back to Victor Te- Victor Hotef. Um, so Victor Hotef's first 10 years in Adventists, which was from 1919 to 1929... Uh, he became an avid student of the Bible and the writings of 
Ellen White and became quite well acquainted with the history and teachings and of the denomination as well as the increasingly Christless condition into which it had fallen. Uh, Victor was a Sabbath school teacher at the Exposition Park Church of Los Angeles, California, when in 1929, M.L. Andriansen, one of the most prominent Adventist theologians, 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 oh God, theologians, thank you, at the time, came out with a Sabbath school quarterly 22, or quarterly, called the Isaiah the Gospel Prophet, which had its focus on Isaiah 54 through 66. So both Andreasen, or and, and reason, I don't know, it, that's how it's spelled, and reason. So Andreasen, I guess. Okay. So both Andreasen and Hotef saw that these chapters are applicable to the church in the last days and therefore must receive thorough investigation. Though careful or through careful study and by revelation, Hotef received much additional light on these chapters, as well as on many other passages of scripture, which had up until then been shrouded in mystery. He wrote down his new light in a manuscript called the Shepherd's Raj, which was named after the rod which Moses used while delivering the Israelites from Egypt. 33 copies of which he delivered to the denominational leaders in 1930. The primary subject of the book was the 144,000 and a call for reformation, which included a call to return to many of the doctrines and practices which the church had been leaving. So basically, he was like this fundamentalist. He believed that a lot of the newer ways of thinking about the church should go back to the older ways because he believes that's where the religion truly should be. Mm. Um, he believed that the church wasn't spiritually awake enough for coming of Jesus and that if he did not wake it soon, they would see, they would be seen as wanting of material world and would be judged accordingly and slain for their sins. Ooh. So the stakes are high. Yeah. Stakes are high, bro. It's either it's either he gets this this religion on track or they're all being dead. They're all being killed. So of the 33 leaders that he sent it to who received the manuscript of the Shepherd's Rod, Volume 1, only two ever replied. The first, according to his own words, only took a little time and pursued certain sections while the second carefully and prayerfully read the manuscript three times, comparing it to the scripture, comparing it with scripture, to discuss whether its contents were true. The first raised objections, which only revealed his ignorance of the subject at hand, while the second, under deep conviction, confessed of his errors and sins as a minister, and took up the study and proclamation of the messages contained in the shepherd's rod only to soon be disfellowshipped from the seventh-day adventist church hotef's call for reform automatically necessitated a humbling on the part of the leadership but since they refused to be corrected they opposed the message and all who accepted it so basically another lng white situation where you know, the leadership was told, hey, 
you guys are fucking it up. You're doing it wrong. Uh, here's a, here's what you're doing wrong. Um, it sounds like your source is propaganda from Victor Victor Hotef's website. I don't know. Just the way that this is phrased. I mean, it would make sense. It kind of makes sense because you think about it. Like they did, like this this group was kind of like considered like the cultish version of the group. Like they were like, yeah, these guys are like the crazy people. Like they're the super fundamentalists. Like. You know, they believe that any day now the world's just going to end and that Jesus is coming down soon and they all have to be ready. But this will tie into why um, the ATF eventually uh, does this massive raid on the Waco compound and why the Branch Davidians are so just like why that this cult, why this stuff happens to this cult. And, like, some of the messed up stuff that goes into it, this explains a lot of why this happens, you know? Well, so far from what I've been hearing, it doesn't really sound all that culty. It just sounds like um, there's some religious disagreements, and then people are sort of separating off based on those disagreements. But, like, they still believe in the Bible. Yeah. I think, though, what they... um, What's going to happen, you know, as I already know what's going to happen, but I think these small little fracturings that are happening slowly as we see it coming through this beginning episodes, we're going to see them start to get more and more drastic and that, you know, certain groups are just going to drastically change more and more. And then sometimes it gets so drastic to the point where you get stuff like, you know, the Branch Davidians and situations like that. Okay, so who's this? So this Victor Hotef guy... It's about to sort of like fracture off from the Seventh Day Adventists. Yeah, he's a he is the main um, influence for the Branch Davidians. Okay, for uh, David Koresh and his whole group. He like David Koresh basically went back and read all of these guys, this guy's writings and stuff. Okay, and based his his group off of this. So this is the reason why we're going into so much depth into this guy because uh, we need to be able to figure out where he came from to figure out why this all just happened and what this group was about and the reason why it's kind of a controversial uh, situation that happened with that group. Well, what? I'm not going to spoil it. What about um, David Koresh's group makes it a cult? Like what beliefs did he take from this Victor Hotef guy? We will um, get into that on the second part, Andy. Okay. You got to hold your horses. By 1935, Victor had formed the movement known as the Shepherd's Rod Seventh-day Adventist and made its headquarters in Waco, Texas, where he established what would become to be known as Mount Carmel Center and then would eventually, infamously, became known as the Branch Davidians compound where David Koresh would keep his group. Ooh. Yeah. Through the earlier years in the Mount Carmel Center, um, during the Great Depression, its movement would flourish. His movement became huge because of all of this suffering going on. A lot of people, you know, thought, oh, shit, the world's going to shit. It might end soon. Mm-hmm. You know. 
And you can also see this through most, I believe, of the research they did during the Great Depression. You see a lot. You see this massive boom of religion and many people joining the church due to the situation. But also a lot of churches were also uh, funding and and starting all these like soup kitchens and like uh, a lot of social networks for people who are having these issues due to the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. Um, they would go on to build all sorts of infrastructure such as schools, banks, houses, agriculture, ministerial schools, and employment agencies all inside of the Mount Carmel Center. Once World War II came around, however, they had already been disfellowshipped from the Seventh-day Adventist Church and were no longer attached to an organization, which meant they couldn't get the ability to be a conscientious objector. This was resolved, however, by them becoming their own organization, gaining the infamous name, the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. So, with this name, it signified their goal was to bring back the Davidic Kingdom. Um, The message of the Davidic Kingdom was one which Hotef had been teaching since 1937. And it basically consisted of the idea that prior to the second coming of Christ... In the millennium, God would establish his kingdom on earth and its capital in the land of Israel. And that from there, the gospel would be preached to all nations. The first fruits of this kingdom would be gathered from among the modern descents of the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, The reason why he called it the Davidians was because it was going back to Davidic kingdoms. And everything I said there. They want to bring back the 12, 12 tribes of Israel? Or the, uh, that a leader is going to come, the, come through um, during the, uh, what, the rapture? So they believe that there is going to be a second coming of Christ. Okay. Um, or no, after the second coming, which has already happened. Um, and they believe that before he ends the world... He is going to begin to establish his kingdom on earth and they're going to have its capital in Israel. And then what's going to happen is he's going to gather all the modern descents of the 12 tribes. And I believe also he's going to gather all of the people who aren't, uh, who follow them. You know, so the belief is that I think Hotep believes that there is some of the people in his group are part of this 12 groups and 12 tribes. And so he's just getting the world ready for God. And I think he's also okay. teaching a lot of people to be prepared for this end of the world. It's still that apparently like 15% of people right now still believe that the world is going to end in their lifetime. So, I mean, it's not exactly, you can't call every one of those people who believe that, you know, crazy, a, a crazy or like a cult member. Like maybe you, I guess maybe you could call them that, but like, I'm still not hearing anything that's exclusive to cults. Like, what? What about? I'm I'm still waiting for the like. Oh yeah, this is this definitely makes him a cult. I just haven't heard that. Yeah. I just haven't heard that information yet. Yeah, genuinely. Well, genuinely, you won't hear much of that coming up here, because most of the previous groups before the Branch Davidians, started by David Koresh, were um pretty chill, like. They pretty much were like older style religions and were more just like a separate sect of that group. 
Not many of them were really cult-like levels yet. See, this is this is my theory: uh, is that whatever information that you have on what, what makes David Koresh's group specifically cult-like, um, I feel like that's just propaganda. To be honest, I feel like it, it's just the same as every other, um, you know, religious sect that that breaks off. You know, like it's just another branch of Christianity. Um, it, that's where I'm coming yeah. from. So I'm, I'm trying to be convinced the other way. I believe I will be able to convince you. Um, we just haven't gone there yet, and it, we we won't get there this episode. Sadly, we will probably get there next episode though. Um, because that that is a lot of that will be tied in a lot during the uh, our talk about the Mount Carmel, like. David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, and the Mount Carmel raid and everything that went on with the ATF and everything like that. We will talk about all of that going on, going into the future here. Um, just right now, we are mainly focusing on the previous uh, religion, and then we're going to go from there. And this is just generally all of what David Koresh pulled from to start his religion, though he did also change a lot of it. Okay. So like Yeah, the main the main things that we're going to learn about that make the seven, the branch Davidians a cult is um a lot of how David Koresh teaches the religion. Um instead of teaching it in a way where you know, you actually gave them the ability to read the book and everything like that, a lot of the stuff that he did, a lot of the way he taught, he didn't have Bibles for the members, I believe. He he just like would sit them down in a room and he'd be like, all right, time for lessons. And then he would read it out himself. And then from there, he would basically be like, this is what this means. And then he would be like, and this is why I'm, this is why I'm important to this. Because his direct belief was that he was the son of God. And that he was sent down by God himself okay. to uh, basically take his people and uh, get them ready for the end of the world. Now that the Davidians have been uh, created, we know what their idea is and why Hotef created this group and why he, what he's trying to get ready for. Um, many of the Adventists' leadership, as, of course, as this is a reef reoccurring theme um rejected this quite heavily which i don't know if it's just i think it's more like this is a group that's just been constantly coming up with issues and they've been like bro we kicked you out of this church a while ago like now you're just trying to start this and then you're trying to get back into the church Hmm. you know situation like that yeah um so though they did reject him the Davidian movement continued to grow, and Hotef wrote more and more literature covering an increasingly broad range of subjects and disputed his tracks freely all over the Adventist world. By the mid-1950s, Mount Carmel Center was publishing and distributing approximately 50,000 pieces of literature each month. In 1953, the Davidian movement took a turn with the inception of the hunting campaign, an operation in which the Davidian ministers went door to door 
visiting Adventists all over the United States and other countries as well. This campaign continued expanding the work of the movement and continued excelling until the fateful day of February 5th, 1955, where Victor Hota died of heart failure. R.I.P. R.I.P. Victor Hota. Now, from that day forward, because many of the... This was like the main leader of this group, and he just passed away. And you can... As any group where a main leader just passes off, you can tell that this this was a big deal. Um, from that day forward, the, the Davidians movement would never be the same. Some of the very truths which it was the purpose of the Shepherd's Rod message to restore were again lost. Uh, the Davidians plunged back into an even worse spiritual condition than the Adventists had been through. Um, Victor's wife, Florence, had took control of the organization the day after his death, and through her influence in making false predictions, among other things, the movement was scattered and split into numerous sects, and in 1961, it was supposedly disbanded. All the various Davidian sects today have arisen out of the attempts of resurrecting the disbanded organization and to proclaim one form or another of the Shepherd's Rod message. So now many of the newer groups that are coming out of this uh, disbandment are trying to basically claim the same thing that Victor did um, in varying levels of success. Okay. So, and that is, that goes up to 1960s. And then from there, the Branch Davidians would begin. Um, on April 22nd, 1959, Victor's wife would prophesy the beginning of a new messianic age. And then beginning in March of 1959, hundreds of believers gathered at the Texas Center the failure of the prediction led to the splintering of the movement. So this was one of, this was the main prediction that caused this massive, uh, you know, Wait, what did she predict though? The messianic age. What is that? Um, the messianic age was basically a belief in the brand, in the seventh day Adventists that God had ages. It's points of his plan. Basically. So, like, they believed that it was entering, like, the... F I believe many of them believed that it was entering the final messianic age. They think that the rapture was going to happen? They were just predicting the rapture, basically? Yeah, basically, they were predicting that a rapture was coming very soon. Oh, okay. And so this is why when this never really happened and nothing happened, you know, nothing changed, and they were like, what the fuck? And that made all of them splinter. Uh, she then, after she had failed and everything, she basically disbanded her following and sold Mount Carmel. And then one of the uh, factions opposed to Florence Hotef's leadership was led by Ben Rodin, who had previously called the Davidians to get off of the dead rod, led by Florence Hotef, and move to the br living branch. Rodin gained the control of Mount Carmel and established the General Association of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists. He called his members to a purer life and promised the 
Christ would return soon after the members reached a state of moral maturity. So one of the parts of this pure life was believing that you shouldn't be eating like processed foods and stuff like that. Like so that may have been one of the situ like pepperoni. Um, Rodden then, or Rodden then died in 1978. The members were torn between allegiance to his wife Lewis and his son George. Lewis found an ally and a young convert. Convert. Wait, Lewis uh, the Vernon wife? Howell. Uh, yeah. It's a man's name. Hey, man, sometimes there's people who are named that way. You don't got to be insensitive about that. Well, fuck those you don't know people. their life. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, uh, she found this young convert named Vernon Howell. Um, but in her death in 1986, left George in control. Within a year, however, Howell had asserted his leadership and became the head of the Mount Carmel community. Howell moved quickly to assert his spiritual authority, and one of his first acts was the adoption of the new name, David Koresh. Oh, this name suggested, yeah, <laughs> this name suggested that he was a spiritual heir of the messianic figure, and though not Messiah Jesus, Cyrus is now is the only non-Jew whom the title Messiah or Anointed One is given in the scriptures. Koresh exercised his new authority by taking several spiritual wives from among his group and group's unmarried members. And in 1989, he asserted that he was the perfect mate for all female members and confided to the Davidians his intentions to create a new lineage of children who he believed would eventually rule the world. He basically believed that God sent him down to do this task. He was, his mother was very young when he was given birth. He had a very hard time when he was born. Um, he was the main leader of the Branch Davidians, of course. Uh, he was a very poor man and dealt with a very hard childhood, where his mother was remarried three times and had issues in school keeping up with the other kids and had a learning disability. But he was very good at deconstructing things and reconstructing them to understand them. He did this with the Bible and would go on to memorize the New Testament by 14 and the Old Testament by 18. He said that he was told he was the chosen one when he was a child. Uh, he then would go on to, uh, during the 1980s and 1990s, he would, before he joined the Branch Davidians, he, instead of becoming a rock star like many people would in the 1980s, he became a Christian rock star <laughs> and played a lot of Christian music <laughs> and stuff like that instead of a lot of rock music that was very popular back then. Nice. Uh, and then once he joined, he prophesied basically the same thing that, um, that uh, Rodin had preached where he believed that they should be wholly part from the holy apart from the world and should not indulge in any of its pleasures. This was shown in examples of them having no heating and water and not being able to wear makeup and should have dresses that were very conservative. So they didn't have running water. They had to instead use like they had, there was no city water. Basically it was all hand pumped water 
Um, so they like, didn't have any elect. They had electricity, but it was very minor uses, and generally heating wasn't available. So they're like semi-Amish. Basically, semi-Amish. Um, but yeah, from there, uh, we're gonna get into more of like the day-to-day living of Davidians, and that'll be for the next episode. And then we'll get into why the ATF did what they did. Um, and some of the issues that were plaguing the group, uh, even before the ATF came in. And one of the reasons why, and the main reason why the ATF even decided to attack this group. So we'll get into all of that, uh, later. Uh, so far, David Crush seems like a cool guy. As far as I can tell, he just wants clean living. You know, he, he's got his wives. I'm hoping I can change your mind. Yeah. Well, the one kicker with that Weiss thing is that he basically, he got a bunch of these married um, people to join that group. So there was a lot of married couples in that group that had previously been married. And when they joined, he was like, hey, marriage isn't a thing in our group. We don't believe in marriage. So he was cucking all We believe we're all... Yeah, he he basically was like, we believe we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and that virginity is our is a serious thing. And then a few months down, he's like, hey, remember that whole thing about virginity being a serious thing? Man, screw that. Jesus told me that I can now bang as many women as I want. <laughs> that's sick, dude. Come on, you you tell me that that's not the coolest thing you ever heard, or like top five dude, coolest and he, things. Dude, he was he was uh, char- charismatic enough to be able to basically. All the guys were just like, "All right, sounds good." <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And just let it happen. No, he seems like a cool guy. That is the beginnings of the uh, Branch Davidians, Andy. What do you think so far? Um. Well, so far. I'm thinking that this is just another religious sect that they're trying to live cleanly like the Amish. You know, they uh, these couples go here and then they get some sort of guidance, religious guidance through this David Koresh guy. Um, you know, maybe he does think he's, you know, the son of God. Or maybe he doesn't yet. I don't mm-hmm. know officially. Um, he doesn't believe he's directly the son of God, but he does believe that he was sent by God. So more like a living prophet again. So he just believes he's hearing God, like he's like he's hearing his God voice or something. He's like the chosen one, is what he says. What is, yeah, time. what does that mean? Sent by God? He never really explains it. He just says he's sent by God and he is the chosen one, and he never really explains it too much. And he just says that, and that's the reason people should believe him. You know, every, everybody believes that that they have a purpose and that they were created in their mother's womb. God, like there's that verse in the Bible that like, I knew you. Um, like when you were fo- before you before were born in your mother's womb, yeah, yeah. So like everybody believes that they were you know sent by God in a way. Um, yeah, I think it's. But like to be the chosen one, just, I guess maybe that's a little bit of a question mark there. A stretch. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as I can tell, he's just he's reading, reading the Bible. He's reading this shepherd's way or whatever like that by Victor. He seems really genuine uh, from the documentary that I watched. He seemed really genuine in his beliefs um 
Everybody's just trying to live clean. I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Andy, I think we both watched completely different documentaries. Yeah, maybe I was watching the propaganda, but as far as I can tell, he seems like a nice guy. Because <laughs> the one I watched, they were like, this dude is fucked up. Well, that's the thing. Like, um, they're... All these like old people try to get into everybody else's business. You know, they get all nosy just because they aren't living, you know, the conservative there was, way. There was members of the Branch Davidians that were also saying he was fucked up. Members that made it out. To... Not not made it out <laughs> like you couldn't leave if you you could leave at any point. They they made it out of the yeah. attack that the ATF did for mm-hmm. literally because because they're they're afraid of the word cult. And then, I don't know, this is, we can get into this next episode, but. Absolutely. I am willing to get into this argument with you, Andy. Well, good. Good. All right. Well, I believe that is it. Do you want to sign us off? We're not going to do a uh, dirty meter yet. We're going to wait till the end of the second part to do the dirty meter. But uh, okay. go on, go on our Reddit, go on, see our Twitter and Facebook, see our Instagram. Um, we're on all that stuff. Uh, so to the Patreon also, shout out to Cam, shout out to Emerson Green for sponsoring the, for sponsoring us for donating on the Patreon. You guys are real ones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you if you donate ten or fifteen bucks, we'll uh, we'll uh, read a message that you have. Um, we'll we'll read it mm-hmm. on, the, on the podcast. So, and we love to see you guys on the subreddit. Um, yep. We're kind of hoping for more and more people to come on the subreddit that can give us ideas for the next few episodes that you might want to hear about. Um, tell us stories. We love stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then we're also, we post on there every week. We post the new episodes coming up. And then um, we also post sometimes photos and stuff like that. Um so yeah yeah all right that's it for this episode uh god bless and stay dirty god bless